those days. And uh, it seemed like every time something of importance would happen, the sound system would just let off this crazy ring, you know? I mean, anything, any, like you're fixed to make an important point, and, it's, and it would just, or, you know, worship burn. And um, every time it would happen, you know, like the pastor would say something like, you know, we need to pray. There's a devil in that soundboard. We need to pray. <laughs> yeah, they, I guess they disbelieved devils were inanimate objects. But anyway, um, I finally had enough of that. And I had had a little bit of experience in, in tech, and I could tell immediately that the guy was just back there playing with the equalizer just constantly playing with it. And every time he'd play with it, it just whacked things out. So I said, y'all, uh, we don't really need to pray for the um, devil to come out of that soundboard. We really need to pray f- for the sound man. He just don't know what he's doing. And um, <laughs> I always wonder why I didn't get invi- invited back to that church to preach. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I did. I had a great relationship with the pastor for years. So that was awesome. Today is Baptism Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And listen... Uh, uh, I'm going to do something uh, that I haven't done in a long time, and um, I, I really don't know why I haven't done it um, in this way, just to focus on baptism and talk about baptism. Um, we talk about it in, in, in parts of sermons, but today we're going, to focus, we're going to focus our attention on baptism, and I think for a couple of reasons this is extremely important, uh, and, and we'll get into those, but I do want to say this, that if you came today and you you didn't bring clothes, you didn't you know you, know, you did you weren't pre- you didn't prepare yourself to be baptized because you didn't know that you might actually uh, do it. We do have uh, baptismal robes that we can put uh, people in, and and so you can or you just jump on in there in your street clothes. I don't care, whatever is in your heart. I've seen that many times, and so through the years, it is a day of celebration. A baptism is a day of celebration, and I. I love, I love um, focusing on that. Uh, several times a year, we invite uh, people to be baptized. We make room for those who desire to be baptized uh, to take what we believe and feel deeply, and certainly in Scripture, it is, um, it, it is a very important step in our Christian journey. Now, I want to take some time to talk about baptism, but... Really what I want to focus on is how we articulate this particular church doctrine, this particular theology, um, and, and, and what we do here at Triumph. And I think that's important because you may or may not know this. There are many theological views, many doctrinal views concerning baptism. I mean, it's pretty much like across the board. Uh, some see baptism as an initiation into a particular church or into a particular denomination. For instance, the Catholic Church and several Protestant denominations baptize babies, and one of the main impetuses behind baptizing infants is it ensures their right as a member of that particular church. Some churches require new people to be baptized or even rebaptized to be a member of that church. And so it doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized, if you hadn't been baptized in that particular congregation, then you can't be a member of that particular congregation because they see baptism as an initiation right into a particular church or into a particular body of believers. The other extreme of that is some churches and, and even denominations see baptism as no longer valid or important. They just, they just kind of wipe the board of and say, we're just not going to do it. We don't see a point in it. Other churches and 
denominations see baptism as a prerequisite for salvation. In other words, if you haven't been baptized, then you're not fully saved. You're only perhaps partially saved, which I don't know. I don't know how you can be partially saved. You know, like what, is one half of you going? I really don't know. I can't figure that one out. But, and I don't even want to try because I, you know, it's just not a debate I'm willing to have. There are, there are even more debates. You, you may, may not know about all of these, but one debate is, is uh, the method of baptism. Well, do you sprinkle someone or do you dunk them? And, and, and they, they make it to the point where that whether it is sprinkle or whether it is dunking, under their doctrinal belief, your baptism is valid. It is invalid if, if you didn't do it according to their particular method. And then you have the debate among some are how many times one is sprinkled or, or, or dunked. Well, do you just sprinkle them once? Do you just dunk them once? Or do you, do you dunk them three times? And, and, and a lot of that hinges on belief in... Um, that when you are baptized, you were baptized and you get dunked three times in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or you sprinkle three times in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then there's a debate, and this has been a debate that has been hotly contested in the Pentecostal realm. Of what the baptizer or the preacher or the minister says during the baptism. See, there are two direct references. We have um, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen that that says uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then in Acts two thirty-eight, uh, Peter said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus." And 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 people allowed that to become a point of contention to the point to the point that if your preacher quotes the wrong verse, your baptism is invalid. Now, that's especially important if you believe in baptismal regeneration, which is that baptism is required for salvation. You're not going to heaven if your preacher quotes the wrong verse. Now, I don't, I don't like that particular debate because I believe the Bible does say something about there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Think about that for a second. If what the preacher said when you were baptized determines whether or not you're going to go to heaven then your preacher becomes the mediator, not Jesus Christ. Now, see, that's pretty deep, isn't it? But you have these debates. People want to argue about this stuff. I mean, to me, and and let's let's just say this, to me, I think the most important declaration in the waters of baptism is the declaration of the person being baptized, not the declaration of the person doing the baptizing. It's, it's that person declaring something in their life. I told someone one time they, they wanted to argue with me concerning that, and I, I made this statement to them. I said, really, I think my job is just to keep you from drowning. <laughs> you know, that's really my job. That, that's the part of the baptizing. <laughs> that's the main job, main job, keep you from drowning. Cover your nose, we're going under. You know what I'm saying? Uh, help you out there. Help you out there. I, I, I pastored for a few months in from pastor in, in a church in Oklahoma City, and, and I had been used to a, a much larger baptismal tank, and, um, and this one was a much smaller one. And, and I, 
you know, I, I don't know what it was about that baptismal tank, but every time I would put some, I'm standing on the outside, they're on the inside, they're sitting on this little cube, and every time I would put them down, I don't know what it was, I never got the hang of that baptistry. I probably should have just like made someone get in there and me just practice a bunch of times, but I didn't do that. I just practiced on the poor individuals that I kept baptizing, and every time I would put them down, they would float back and I would hit their head on the end of the baptistry, <laughs> and I'd bring them right back up. So then I started warning people. I said, now listen, when I put you under, I'm going to bump your head, okay? It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. And thankfully, it was always a real soft little bump, so no one actually got hurt. But I will tell you this. I was preaching in Canada. This would be probably back in 1991, maybe 90, 1990. I was preaching in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada, and there was a church that was about 40 kilometers away that did not have a baptistry, and they had several people to baptize. And so they asked, when they had baptismal uh, things, they asked that this particular church if they could borrow their baptistry. Of course, that's fine, but it was late at night. And so we're, we're, we're here now, it's close to midnight, and me and the pastor are the only ones left. We're waiting on this church to arrive to use his baptistry. His baptistry was up a little high on this side of the platform, and it, I, it's a, I don't know why, but the baptistry was made out of metal, okay? It wasn't a fiberglass baptistry, and it had sharp edge around it. And I, 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 I don't know, I guess they bought it from cheapbaptistry.com or something. But, um, but here we go with this, with, with this baptistry. The pastor, this is a terrible story. The pastor and I are sitting on the front row watching this, you know, as the church is there and they're there's about five or six people to be baptized. And one of the people to be baptized was about seven foot tall. And the little guy that was baptizing him was about five, five. All right? And, and somehow or another, he thought that he could baptize this guy. And, and, and oh, Lord, this is terrible. This is terrible. I should not be telling this story. Uh, uh, <laughs> So he, he goes to baptize this guy, and he brings him back, and I mean knocks him out cold on the edge of that baptistry. Because he just, I mean, he just, just totally walk at the back of his head. And the dude goes into the water, and then this little preacher jobs it after him and starts trying to pull him out. And he looks up at me and, and, and Ed Goddard and goes, Help me! And all we could do was laugh. We couldn't I mean, we, I mean, well, we were laughing so hard, we were just immobile. We could not. <laughs> and this poor guy was trying to get this dude up out of his baptistry. Oh, Lord. Terrible. Actually, the guy just hurt so bad, he stayed under that cold water and was rubbing his head while this preacher was trying to pull him up. Oh, goodness. Why did I tell that story on Baptism Sunday? Listen, we don't have, we, 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 it's much easier for us. We, we, we have ways and we, I think that's probably why I requested us to put that, uh, yeah, protection. Yeah. I mean, all of these different things about baptism, all these different debates, it can be confusing. All right. It can be, it can be very confusing because it's like, well, well, here's what the Bible says, but I think you have to realize it's, it, 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 it. You have to realize that men theologically interpret Scripture as the, as the Lord gives them light. All right? 
And I mean, there is a divide in the Protestant church. The Protestant church has many, many denominations and even non-denominations. And it can be especially confusion if you're one of those who chooses to draw a line in the sand and declare that your method and your formula is the only right one and everyone else is wrong. I came to a point years ago that it was a worthless debate to try to argue down the church down the street. Matter of fact, I'm not here to have that debate, nor am I here to say that one is right and others are wrong in a universal sense. I have a very close friend who is on our accountability board. He's one of our presidents, Dr. Phil Braskell. I mean, if you are, uh, you, you know him. He's been here many times. And Dr. Phil took a contingency of preachers, some very stringent in their theological belief concerning baptism, felt like the only way to baptize someone was to dunk them completely under. They were on a secret missions trip to China and they were working with underground churches illegal churches and the discussion of baptism came up in one of the teaching sessions and they all suddenly realized that none of these pastors themselves had never been baptized and these pastors expressed a desire to to be baptized Dr. Fields said, at that moment, I went to prayer because for us to take them out, he said, we were being watched, for us to take them out and to baptize them in a river or in a lake would have meant certain jail, if not even death. Yet the men that I was on this trip with are all very very stringent. You, You need to be... Submerged, you need to be dunked. And yet I realized that there was no way we were going to get enough water to do that in, in private, in secrecy. And so I gathered them together. I said, I know our custom. I know our custom is to submerge. I know that that is what you do at home. But there are many other churches and denominations and Protestant and saved people that use the method of sprinkling. He said, I feel like in this circumstance, that would be the best thing for us to do. And all of those men agreed. Because they hadn't drawn that line in the sand so hard as to invalidate someone's confession, someone's personal declaration. Those Chinese pastors were baptized. And see, that's why I think that when we draw those lines in the sand, we have to recognize, and let's just talk about me for a second, I am not responsible for the church down the street. Now, I know there's a lot of pastors that think they are. But I am not responsible for that church. The pastor of that church is responsible, or the elder board is responsible. I'm not responsible. My responsibility is to study and to pray, 
and to formulate theology and doctrine in a way that makes sense to our community of believers. What makes sense here? What, what makes sense to our ministry and our function and how we operate and what we feel God has called us to do as a body of believers? And you're talking about taking the monkey really off of your back. When you come to that realization, even in your own life, you have people in your family that may or may not go to the same kind of church you go to. And it is a heavy burden to bear in your life if, if, if you take the responsibility for their church. To me, I think it's a powerful thing to recognize that we all rally around the cross. Do you believe that salvation comes by grace through faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross? And have you made that confession of salvation in your life to say that Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead? And, and if they have, then, then maybe we should reserve our other arguments for another day. See, this is my responsibility as a pastor. I have to operate within the light that has been given to me without judging others who operate in the light that has been shown to them. And so today, in the next few moments, I'm just going to talk about the light that's been revealed to me. All right? And where we have stood for years as a church when it comes to baptism. Matthew 28, 18 is the perfect place to start. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now there is a central focus point for everything Christian in your life. All right? The central focus is, is all authority has not been given to the pastor. All authority has not been given to you. All authority, both in heaven and on earth, Jesus himself said, has been given to me. That I hold the authority, and that is a central focus of your Christian confession. That no one else is Lord. That no one else has authority. And this is the foundation of the very gospel. This is the foundation of the Great Commission that we're reading here in Matthew 28. The Great Commission, that, that the foundation of that commission is that Jesus Christ himself holds all authority, both in heaven and on earth, both spiritual and physical. Come on, think about that for a second. That Jesus Christ himself holds all authority, and this is the foundation of our confession, and then it becomes the foundation of our baptism, and it becomes the foundation of our discipleship. Now, that's going to be a very important word, discipleship. Jesus called all of us to be disciples. That means we operate under his discipline. The root of disciple is discipline. And we operate our lives once we are saved, once we have confessed, once we have given our lives over to his authority. Then we, then we come under his discipline and we become a disciple. And that's an ongoing process, Amen. There's not a soul in this room that got instantaneous perfection of discipleship when you were saved. I mean, 
even the Apostle Paul, having written so much of the New Testament, this great apostle that did so much for the kingdom of God, even toward the end of his life, he was still admitting, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm still working on it. I'm still striving to become that which I have been called to be. And so we're working through the process, but then listen to the 19th verse. He's talking to the disciples, and, and, and they will become apostles, and then, and then the church is going to be birthed and grow. He says this, therefore, because I have been given all authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There are several things that I, that I, I like to discuss here. And first is that Jesus said make disciples. Everybody say make disciples. Okay, I'm going to just blow your mind right now. Because this is going to be so deep theologically. You're going to have a hard time wrapping your head around it. You can't be a disciple if you're not saved. Disciples are saved, right? All right? And so the first order of business in the gospel is to bring people to a point of salvation in their life. Make disciples. All right? Are y'all with me? Make disciples. But then he says this, the second thing, he says this, baptize them. Can anybody in this room tell me who the them is? It's the disciples. It's those saved people. Save them, baptize them. And then he says this. He says the third thing. And then teach them to obey. So get them in a process of discipleship. Teach them how to walk in the ways of Christ. Teach them how to fulfill the call of God on their life. Teach them how to grow in their understanding and and in their faith. Teach them these things. So this is the responsibility that we have. We have the responsibility to save them so we see new disciples coming on board. Then we have the responsibility to baptize those disciples, those people that have been saved. That's the new disciples. And then to teach the new disciples. And so I want to say this very clearly. Disciples get baptized. Therefore, we can safely say that baptism is for people who have come to a point of salvation in their life. But it also shows that baptism is an important part of discipleship. That, that it's an important part of, 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 of you being who God has called you to be. A disciple. I want to say this again so we got real clear. Saved people get baptized. And from this we can safely declare that baptism is an act of discipleship. Not an act of salvation, an act of discipleship. Matter of fact, in the early Jewish church, they understood the significance of being baptized because, because they had already practiced ritual ceremonial baths. In their customs, if a young man were to join the sect of a rabbi, which was extremely important and, 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 and a very high degree of, of um, honor... That, that young man would submit to a ceremonial bath, symbolically washing away the former self and taking on the identity of the rabbi. That's how they viewed it. 
It was a public declaration that signified a switch of allegiance. I believe this is why Jesus placed strong emphasis, in, and we're going to explain this verse in light of everything that, that we've said in Mark 16, 16. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. There's a lot of people that take this verse, and this is where they preach baptismal regeneration from. That there are actually two steps to being saved, and it's believe and baptize. Now, I want you to notice, though, that in the second phrase, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say baptize there. They say, well, why, why did Jesus place such an emphasis on that? It's because the early believers had no other idea than to be baptized as a part of their confession. They didn't have any other idea. To them, confession and baptism were pretty much synonymous. And all believers were baptized as a result of their confession. But to me, this reference here to believe and baptized, this is get saved and become a disciple. And that's the process of ongoing salvation in our life. I don't want to dive too deep into that today because it's, it's off topic. But, but I will say this, that as a tridimensional being, there is a part of us that we are working out for salvation. And that is the soulish part, which is the mind, will, and emotions. And that's the part where we are trying to be transformed into the image of Christ. I mean, don't you think that if we could ever get our mind, will, and emotions in the same vein of Christ that we'd probably be doing a little better in our lives. <laughs> you know, I mean, we used to sing a song, To Be Like Jesus, and I, well, I sometimes wonder if some of those people really meant it. I sometimes wonder if I really meant it. But the fact is, is that discipleship is a process. Now, our spirit is saved. The Bible says that our spirit returns to God. So our spirit is saved at confession. And we know our body is going to be saved. Our body is going to be saved in the resurrection, right? We're going to have a new body. It's the soulish part that we're working out salvation, where we're taking on the nature of Christ, where we are being infused with the, with the fruit of the Spirit. And we're working that part of our salvation out, the soulish part. I will say this, scripture is plain in saying that baptism is a significant part of our discipleship and a part of our faith journey. It's a covenant declaration on the part of disciples to completely sell out to Christ. And that this declaration has a spiritual impact. It isn't just getting wet. It certainly isn't joining a church. It's about being a part of what God has called you to be. I want to say this point again. We must realize that baptism is about the person being baptized, declaring his or her allegiance to God through Christ. Colossians 2, verse 9, says it like this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness he is the head over every power and authority. There we go again. 
In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This Jewish act of circumcision. There is something about our faith confession and how it ties and mingles itself then with baptism. I realized something in my study this week. They didn't circumcise the male children. The circumcision was the symbol of the allegiance to the covenant of God in their life, the old covenant. God said all the male would be circumcised at eight, year, at eight days old. They were born Jewish. But the circumcision represented their allegiance to the covenant. And my question for us today is, is where is our allegiance to the new covenant? I think a big part of that is when we submit to the act of baptism. And then it says we are buried with him. We are born again by grace through faith, that confession. Baptism then represents us being buried with Christ, a declaration of discipleship that acknowledges our commitment to the new covenant, just as circumcision was their acknowledgement to the old covenant. And the word buried brings into light one of the reasons why we here at Triumph immerse people or dunk people. Fully under the water during baptism. I'm not castigating sprinkling. I believe there's a place for that. And I, if that's where somebody's doctrine is, then I'm not having that debate. But for us at Triumph, we understand that the original Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which means to make fully whelmed, to be fully wet. It can even be translated immerse or submerge. Dunk. With the understanding of burial and the understanding of fully wet, we believe that it is best symbolized and accomplished through going completely under the water. Now, I have taken a little, a little pen knife today, and I have barely scratched the surface. But I hope and I pray that those of you who are being baptized or those of you that feel like you want to be baptized today, I hope that you can recognize that baptism is not just going through the motions. It is so important to your discipleship. And so I invite you today to participate. I invite you to participate. Even if you didn't come prepared, I invite you to participate. Why? Because it's what Christ commanded us to do. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? If you would like to stick around after service today, we're going to do our baptism. We'd baptize in the foyer. 
you'd like to stick around and celebrate with us, then that'd be just be awesome. If you are planning on being baptized, if you would, um, in just a few short moments, after we receive our gift today and worship the Lord in our offering, make your way to get dressed and be ready. Hannah and them, I guess, are going to help you, Pastor Hannah. Thank you. Uh, God is good. Let me pray over us. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for an understanding, our understanding. I believe today with all of my heart that you have, you have rested in people's minds the beauty of your process in our life. And I pray that today people would make a decision that would be so instrumental in their ongoing discipleship process. And if there's anybody under the sound of my voice even right now that wants to take even a step of salvation that maybe maybe they've never prayed that prayer maybe they have but don't hold much confidence in what they've done before that they would even pray now that Jesus is the Lord of my life that they would confess that, that they believe in their heart that God raised Christ from the dead I pray Lord Jesus that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice even right now that is confused or worried concerned about their eternal salvation, that they, would, that they would pray that prayer, that they would feel that touch of your Holy Spirit, even as it rests in this room, that they would feel the touch of your Holy Spirit working in their life. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that, that your word and that your work and that your power and that your presence and your spirit would operate in our lives like never before. Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen to that. Praise God. Ha! We end our services here at Triumph with the opportunity for you to give. We appreciate so much.